You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. And so if you will, stand with me one more time here, give you a little bit of exercise, and that's going to come back here in a moment. I want you to think about exercise. I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. But 1 Peter 1, beginning in verse 13. Let's hear what the word of the Lord has to say to us. Therefore, notice this, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Listen to this. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Not just a little bit of it, church. Not just on Sunday mornings when you're dressed up all nice. Always. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially, according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these words, these words of encouragement, words to apply to our lives. Oh God, get the glory in all that we say and do today and help us to be holy as you are holy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. I'm just going to tell you right now, we had revival this week and uh, I have a voice that's trained for yelling, but not for singing. And uh, I did a lot of singing the last few nights, and even this morning I was singing, and all of a sudden my voice was saying, well, you probably shouldn't be singing that loud. You're not going to have enough voice today. So if, uh, it, well, let's pray that the voice will hold up. But I'm glad that I've wore myself out praising the Lord this week. It's just been a good time. And I want you to know that when we think about the Christian life, I think sometimes when we come to church, we come to church with this attitude that we're going to come and go to a small group. We sit down. We, uh, you know, Baptists, we have to have our coffee and donuts or some such thing. And then we get up and we get a little bit of exercise because we walk, you know, 20 yards, 30 yards, 100 yards, pretty big building, you know, uh, to the sanctuary. And then we sit down and we listen to a sermon. And then we get up and then we go home and then we live our lives. And I want to say this. If that is the active Christian life, we are in trouble. 
If that's really all there is to it, to come and sit and listen for a little while, learn a few things, and then feel a little better about ourselves, and then go out into this great big world, I'd say the church is in big trouble. In fact, I would say the church is in trouble because too many times we have allowed ourselves to believe that a little bit of church attendance, a casual acquaintance with ministry, is active Christian service. And I want to tell you, that sounds a lot more like the spa life to me than the gym life. The Christian church needs to be active. How do I know that? Am I making it up? Nope, not making it up today, brothers and sisters. Therefore, preparing your minds for action. And I want to say, church, Christians need to be active. We cannot continue to come to church with the attitude that we're coming to get a service. It is not a spa. This is not a place where the music or the preaching needs to be all about you. It needs to be all about Jesus. Now, I didn't get a lot of amens because I ain't convinced you yet, but before we finish today, I hope I do. I love you. I do. I, this is a great church, and I, I, I find myself sometimes, I don't want to be hard on you because I love you. You guys are great, but you could be better. I, I love my children, but you, they know I, I just don't tolerate mediocrity. If they come with an A minus, I'm going to say, you didn't study hard enough. You could have got an A. Yeah, that works great. Um, that's going to work out fantastic <laughs> for them, I, I think, I hope. But anyway, brothers and sisters, I, I think when we see Peter talking here, he's telling us about an active Christian faith that is to be robust. So what's gone wrong? Why have we allowed our faith to become passive? And I want to say this. Why, why have you allowed it? There are areas in your life that maybe at one time you felt really the heartbeat of God. You felt the strength and power of God. Why are you not feeling that way right now? And if we could sit down and have a conversation about this, there are a myriad of reasons. Some of them are in your heart. Some of them are around you. In other words, the relationships in your life. But they're all, in the end, excuses that the enemy would love for you to hold on to for the rest of your life. If he can keep you, you who have the gifts that God has given you, you who have been filled with the Holy Spirit and know something about the power of God, if you can continue to sit in your pew, the enemy wins. And I'm tired of the enemy winning. I want to see the kingdom of God moving forward. I want to tell you this, and I believe it with all my heart. A passive Christian life isn't paused. It's moving backwards. There is no pause. There's forward or there's backward. I haven't ridden a bike in a long time, but I started riding a bike in a place called DeSoto, Missouri. There's two flat spots in the whole town. I almost killed Johnny on a hill one time. Uh, we got up there, and he was seeing triple. He's used to seeing angels. They saw three of me and thought it was something else. But anyway, a lot of hills. And I'm going to tell you, when you're pedaling up a hill, pausing means going backwards. It's a dangerous thing to do. And the church, I fear, many of us, are in a pause, and we think that because it's just a pause, we tell ourselves it's going to be okay. 
But the image of Scripture in Ephesians 2, Paul talks about the current of this world. And the current of this world is going in the wrong direction. It's pulling us into depravity and destruction. If you are not putting your paddle in the water, you're going backwards, brother or sister. We have to keep paddling. We have to keep moving, uh, moving the pedals, whatever, to change the metaphor. When did you stop swimming? The current of this world will carry you away if you are not careful. And some of you need to ask how far down the stream you are right now. I want to tell you that this idea of holiness that we can't ever completely define, but we need to always ever be in pursuit of, we never arrive at it in our lives by accident. We never arrive at holiness. Oh, look at that. I woke up. I'm holy. It's amazing. I, praise the Lord. Yeah, that's right. A, a nice dinner last night. Woke up all holy. No, that's not how that works. There is a pursuit here. There is action, activity, and we must do it because we are told in the Scriptures, not just here but in many places, that we need to be holy as He is holy. We need to be intentional about personal holiness, but for there to be personal holiness, it needs to happen in the body of Christ. The devil wants you to think that once you were saved, you got all that you need and you'll be fine from this point forward. But let me say this. The Word of God tells us again and again that once we've come to know Jesus, that's when we need each other the most. The battle that is coming, it comes most heatedly when we have received Christ. And that's when you need somebody in the foxhole with you, amen? That's when you need somebody in the line with you, serving with you, holding you up, correcting you. Let me just say right now, don't be afraid of the correction of a brother or sister in Christ who loves you. That's one of the ways to holiness, to submit to people who are walking with Jesus. They've seen some things you haven't seen. Walking with John Stroop this week, let me tell you, he's seen some things I haven't seen. But because of him, I can see things this week that I couldn't see last week. That's discipleship. It's that simple. Any plan you have with personal holiness as its goal must involve the body of Christ. Remember, this sermon series is about God's people gathered. We are making the case that we need to be born again and brought into the body of Christ. And the reason we need to be in the body of Christ is because we need to grow. And we want to grow in holiness. And that happens. We get in shape. Again, think about the gym, and I'll talk about more of that in a minute, but we, we'll think about the gym mentality here. We need to be active in our faith to stay in shape. We need each other. So what I'm going to do here today is pretty simple. I'm going to give you a little theology. I'm going to just give you some, some practical things to think about, some talking points, and then we're going to go to application. And I want you to listen to me because today we have some profound truth that we need to hear, that I think the church needs to hear. It's not just about growing the membership here at Ridgecrest. The goal here is that we grow in holiness. This week in our business meeting, we can talk about the measurables and metrics, and God is blessing our church, but I want to tell you, I'm not satisfied with any measurements that are of this world. I want to see us growing in holiness, and there's no way, there's no way to measure that humanly. But again, you'll feel it. You'll feel it when the holiness of God is radiating from you. And the people who need Jesus will feel it radiating from this place when the body of Christ has got it figured out. And here's where it starts. 
It starts with us remembering that we have been ransomed from futile ways. Last three days, we talked a lot about a futility. You saw pictures last night of people who were living lives of futility. And then by faith, they've been turned upside down. The skeptics in the room are saying, oh, well, you know, that's no big deal. They'll probably go back. Well, uh, what's your story? They're still living for Jesus. You've been bitter for 20 years, and you're judging them? Yeah. See, it's really interesting how we have the ability to say, well, that can't be real because, well, they've done bad things. Well, all that means is, is you don't understand your sin. That's all that means. We all need the Lord. Now, it's interesting. When we come to 1 Peter, it's like so many of the letters in the New Testament. We have theology, um, and then that's followed by some practical advice. So let me just say this. When we talk about theology here at Ridgecrest, that's not dry, boring stuff. I want you to know you need to know what God's Word says about Him, about you, about the church. Friends, that's theology. We read the Bible to learn these truths. And now what we see here, after Paul has explained to us the need to be born again in the first 12 verses, starting in verse 13, he begins to say, okay, now this. You've been born again to a new hope. Now this. And if you'll notice, it is action. It is action that he speaks of there in verse 13. Now, if we don't get moving, if we do not have action for Jesus, I've already told you what happens is, is we get carried the wrong direction in life. Now, for some people, it means drug addiction in prison. For others, now let me just say, for many of us in this room, and I'll include myself in this, when we get carried away, it's more like frustration, anger, cynicism, sarcasm, all those things. That, I wasn't looking at anybody when I said that, I don't think, but um, all those things that we sometimes dismiss. Now, all those things can be in their proper place, but when those things begin to take over your heart, let me tell you, that's poison. It's poison to your soul just like a drug would be. Bitterness is, is a serious thing. There's a lot of people who are, are considering taking their lives in our community, and many times it's just the bitterness of soul. That's no small matter. And I want you to realize that what the world wants to do is, is scrunch you. I, uh, did you ever play with Play-Doh when you were a kid? When Jenny and I were in Poland this last time, we bought the kids some Play-Doh and some toys. And you know those toys that you squish it in? I saw one little boy play with that Play-Doh like five straight hours. It like hurt my hands to watch him just all day long squishing that Play-Doh. Well, let me tell you something. Get that image in your mind because when the world shapes us, we look a certain way. And if you look at verse 14, it's like this. As obedient children, so this is if you are an obedient child of God, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So what that image there is, is if we are not growing in holiness, we are allowing the world to put us in a, a press and what we're going to come out as is something the world says is good, but God does not agree with that. And that can look pretty, but if it is not of God, then it truly is a negative thing. I want to say this, and I'll, I'll really hit this hard in the second service, um, not because they're all younger than you. Well, yeah, but it's because they're really all younger than you. Um, but I'm really going to hit this in the second service um, to sin is the most conforming thing you can do in this world. 
You want to be the most boring, regular Joe, sin like everybody else. You want to be the rebel? You want to be the James Dean? Let me contextualize here. Um, You want to be the James Dean of your generation? Live for God. Because everybody else has submitted their souls to the press of Satan. They've conformed. How do we keep from conforming? We've been talking about the action and activity of the church. Part of it is preparing your minds for action. Now, this is really funny. I'm going to go ahead and tell you what it literally says in the Greek because it's hilarious. Basically, it says, gird the loins of your mind. That's actually pretty funny. (laughs) I guess for a nerd, it's funny. My kids are always like, Dad, you try. You try to be funny. (laughs) Try real hard. So it's kind of like this. Paul is saying, put on your gym clothes. For those of you who have the funds, put on your Lululemons. They cost about $5,000 for a pair of stretchy pants. (laughs) Why didn't I think of that? Yeah, it's just, okay. I can't go there. But prepare for action. Get your mind ready. You know, I'm probably going to run this afternoon, and believe it or not, I won't be dressed like this. I'm going to prepare for action. I'm going to put on clothes that provide some mobility, the ability to, to, to move and, and not sweat and, and, you know, be all gross and all that kind of stuff. I'm going to tell you, there is hard work to be done to prepare your mind for action. This world, if you set still, will just let you flow into that mold and press you into what the world wants you to be. But if you want to be something more for God, as an obedient child, as the text tells us here, we have to get our minds ready. I'm telling you, lazy minds, lazy minds lead to lazy faith. When we do not preach and teach the word as we should, we do not know who we are. We do not know what we're called to do. And most importantly, we do not know who God is. But when we fill our minds with the scriptures, we have something beautiful. Oh, we want to make sure that the grace of God that saved us continues to transform us. God's grace has ransomed us from our sinful ways the futile ways, Peter says here, that our forefathers. It's so interesting here in this passage. It speaks of forefathers. Um, verse 18, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. If you were here the last three nights, every single night, John talked about generational sin. He talked about how the sins of the fathers do trickle down generation to generation. The sins of the fathers will be visited upon the fourth and fifth generation, the word tells us. But I'm telling you, if you'll stand up for righteousness, you can be a blessing for a thousand generations. We need to stop the pattern. If there is evil and wickedness, if you inherited some bad things, I'm not talking about your genes, but I'm talking about your behavior from your parents and your grandparents, I lament that with you, but it's time to change. Do whatever it takes, and there is no wrong way here. Spend time with your pastor. Spend time with your therapist. Spend time with with people any way you can because you've got to make sure that you don't pass on the negative. The world needs you to pass on the good things that God has put in your heart. And don't forget, we have good things because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus' redemption is our inspiration for active, grace-filled Christianity. Jesus died on the cross. That was an action. 
He laid down on the cross, but the process of laying down was a choice. It was an action. And I want to say to you, it's important that we empty ourselves of all futility, all the futile ways of life, and lay down our lives for Jesus. Our lives cannot conform to the world. They must be cruciform. And the blood has given us a better way. So let me give you some practical advice here, some better reasons for being holy. Ultimately, I can just say we are to be holy because of the fact of God's holiness. Leviticus 19.2. We see it in Matthew 5.48. We need to understand that holiness is not an abstract term. I told you it's hard to define, uh, but it is a way of conduct. And I want to tell you, in my experience, maybe it was yours too, when we started talking about holiness, usually from the pulpit, holiness, the sermon, you knew where it was going. It was basically, basically going to tell you all the things you can't do anymore. Holiness, as we've tried to define it, is more defined negatively. You don't drink, you don't smoke, you don't dance. And if you don't like dancing, then, well, the last three nights were really uncomfortable for you. <laughs> there was a homeless man dancing right up here. And he was going to town. And the last night he was down here, and I was like, hallelujah. Now some more people can see what worship looks like. Man had nothing in this world. He had Jesus in his heart, and he looked like a worshiper of God, unlike some of us ever have. Anyway, I'm meddling there. Too often when we think about holiness, again, it's a negative thing. But what if it's a positive thing? What if we can talk about holiness for a moment in terms of a positive concept? That's how the scriptures actually define it. I said earlier there isn't a definition, but I meant more in terms of words. There is actually a perfect definition of holiness. Um, if we ask the question, is God holy? Yes, of course, he is perfectly holy. Um, so if we want to know what holiness is, we need to look to Jesus, act as Jesus acted, and speak as Jesus spoke. So if you're saying, what does holiness look like? Open the Gospels, read the accounts, and there you have it. Loving your enemy, caring for people who no one else cares about, speaking the truth to power, giving your life for holiness and righteousness. That's what holiness looks like. Holiness defined by the legalist is all about the don'ts. Holiness uh, defined by those who live in grace is what you do. And I want to challenge you. Do you sound like Jesus? Do you look like Jesus? Born again people, we are exiles in this word, world. Verse 17 tells us, Verse 17 tells us that we are exiles. This is the time of our exile. Isn't that interesting? Our entire lives are defined as the time of exile. You're going somewhere better. You have a place called heaven as your home. And Peter is warning us that we will be judged by the world. But there is only one who judges impartially according, according to each one's deeds. So notice that. You will be judged by the world. And they're going to tell you you are wrong, uh, that you are immoral. By believing in Jesus, some people in the world will tell you you're immoral. That by having biblical values, you are immoral. And what I want to say to you is this. Don't worry about their judgment because that judgment can't get outside of the atmosphere of this whole world. But the judgment of God is eternal. 
Fear the Lord, respect the Lord and his unique purity and strive for it as you see it in Jesus' life. Realize that he is the ransom for your sins. Your ability to be righteous is in him. What he did for you on the cross, you could not purchase it. Look at verse 18. Silver or gold could not purchase it. But what did pay the price was the precious blood of Christ. Nothing can buy it in this world but the blood of Jesus. Jesus came, and notice the language. It's strange in the ESV. Verse 20, he came for the sake of you. Now, I don't know why Peter decided to talk like Yoda here, but he did. So there's some wisdom going on, some words switched around. For the sake of you, Jesus came to die for you. What that means is, I believe he came to die to save you. Amen? Amen. We agree that that's true. He also came so that you could grow in holiness. The ransom of Christ gives us the hope of life and resurrection life at that. So let me just summarize here. We're going to put them on the screen for you. Um, what, what are the reasons Peter gives us for being holy? Well, because God commands it. Verse 15. Because Jesus was without blemish or spot and is our example. Verse 19. Because Jesus paid the price for our sins on the cross. We see that in verses 18 and 19. Also, because the creator of the heavens and earth loves you and calls you his own. And then finally, because Jesus' resurrection gives us faith and hope in God that we will live forever. Oh, friends, let me say to you, these are reasons for being holy. And I want you to be happy in Jesus. But I want you to know this. Christians in our day seem to want happiness before holiness. That equation is backwards. Be holy, and then you'll discover what it means to be happy. If you're seeking to please the flesh first, holiness will not come. We need to be able to say no to the passions of the flesh. That's true. But we need to not just stop there. Too many people are proud of the fact that they have discipline to say no to bad things, but they don't realize they're not saying yes to the good things. What are the good things? Well, how about the fruits of the Spirit? Grace, peace, love, all those things. We need to say yes to the virtues and not just think we're okay if we have the, tem uh, the temerity to say no to the bad things, to the vices. And so today, I am here to tell you, holiness is being like Jesus. Ultimately, that's it. Looking to him and living for him. And this all brings us to our, our main point for this morning, our final point. Refreshing holiness in community. Now think about this for a moment. Holiness, when we think about it, we're like, oh man, you know, being in the presence of God, that sounds intense. But I want you to know, when the holiness of God pours out in the church, it is refreshing. And it's something that needs to happen in the context of community. Why do we need community? Well, we're weak. Our hearts grow weary. Our tempers quickly flare. Now let me just get real with you for a minute. This is coming from a heart that knows these things all too well. Have you noticed how easy it is to be disappointed in your fellow believers? Have you noticed how hard it is to be encouraged by them when you really know them? The devil gives us 20-20 vision concerning the faults of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Notice I didn't say God gave you that. Only the Holy Spirit can give us x-ray vision to see deeper, to see the heart that he sees. 
One of the reasons why holiness is not growing in your heart is because you have seen things in the church that are disconcerting. And instead of trying to be a part of a solution, it's just easier to give up. I'm going to tell you, um, there's a reason why a lot of the guys I went to school with, the study ministry, good men, are no longer in the pulpit today. And it's not about moral failure often. It's usually just frustration. All they can see are all the things that are wrong with the church. And I have to tell you, I have a front row seat for all the good stuff, and I have a front row seat for all the bad stuff. And I see many times the the sad reality that people are not growing because all they can see is what's wrong with the other. And I'll tell you this, as long as the devil has you focused on the wrongs of the other, you're not going to be seeing many of the wrongs of your own heart. We often don't give our brothers and sisters the benefit of the doubt. We hear something and we see something and we assume. I said it a while back, I'll say it again. One of the funniest things I've ever heard is, is that Baptists wouldn't get any exercise if they didn't jump to conclusions. <laughs> and many times, one of the reasons why we give up on relationships is we just assume that because they made a mistake or they've gone the wrong direction for a season that they're completely worthless or they can't, they can't change. You know, in talking with people, sometimes I realize that they really don't believe in the power of the gospel. Here's why I, I know that. Because when they talk about people, they talk about like they're a lost cause. I feel that way sometimes. I really do. But I've decided if I feel that way too much, I no longer deserve to be your pastor. Because I believe that the gospel changes lives. I believe people who have made mistakes can be redeemed by the power of God. I believe in forgiveness. You know why? Because to one who's been forgiven much, I need to remember that I must forgive much too. And I want to say this to you. Holiness is not going to grow in a heart that is angry and confused and pointing fingers. No, no, no. We need to grow strong in community. And what we have to do is allow our hearts to be healed. When we see brokenness in the church, we must not be judgmental to an extent. We are far less loving than we ought to be far less forgiving than Jesus was. I'm always amazed that the people Jesus hung out with doesn't look like the average Baptist church crowd. So obviously he had the capacity to love people who had made some pretty big mistakes. Peter gives us a quote from Isaiah 40. Listen to it. All flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the good news is, is that the church is not ultimately dependent upon that which fades, the flesh. Instead, we must remember the word of the Lord remains forever. Our reason for optimism here, even if you've messed up or I've messed up, our reason for optimism is, is that the word never returns void. That God's word is, not will, is changing lives right now. The person who loves Jesus, when confronted with, not an opinion, but when confronted with chapter and verse, will turn from their wicked ways and be restored. We need to be in the restoration business. One of the reasons why the church isn't holy is because we're not brave enough to have conversations with one another and help one another grow in holiness. If we are sinning against one another, let's be brave enough. Let's have minds that are active enough to lovingly speak the truth. When we let the word of God shape and mold us, 
we find ourselves bent into a shape capable of loving others well. Remember a moment ago I said that you can be conformed to the ways of evil? Well, guess what? When you give your heart over to God, he can press you into something, shape you into something capable of loving others well. One of the reasons why we do not love well is because we've not allowed the Lord to shape us enough. You know, we're the the, the square peg trying to go in the round hole. And so the only way that that gets fixed is if we submit our hearts to the grinder and those rough edges get ground down. I have to tell you, I hope you hear this. I'm preaching it myself. Over the years, being raised in church, one of the hardest things for me has been to, to watch people do dumb things. I don't know. I just, something about people doing dumb things, I don't like it. And then, and then you have good friends in your life, and they say, well, why are you doing dumb things? You know, and all of a sudden you realize, my goodness, this hurts, but I need this. I need to hear a word from the Lord. I need to be molded. I need to be shaped. I need to be changed. Let me ask you this, if we're, if we're not willing to do that, what does that lead to? Well, it leads to dissatisfaction. We're not able to be partners in ministry with anybody because everybody's messed up. Nobody's got it figured out. When you're okay with throwing away a Christian relationship, something is wrong with your relationship with Christ. Throwing away relationships is what the world does. Amen? I don't need you anymore. I'm going my own way. You hurt my feelings. You don't deserve my friendship. Does that sound Christian? No, but it sure sounds normal in this world. Throwing away any relationship should show us that there's something wrong and we have no desire to reconcile. Verse 22, we are called to purify our souls by our obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Notice that he connects growing in truth with sincere brotherly love. The more we have the word, listen, we don't become the, you know, you're wrong, chapter and verse, chapter and verse, chapter and verse. The more we know the word, the more we love people and want them to experience the word. Sincere love for other people can only flow from a pure heart, Peter is telling us, and we only arrive at a pure heart when we have sought holiness. Why is there conflict in the church? Anytime there's conflict, it shows a lack of holiness. So keep that in mind. Conflict occurs because of a lack of holiness. Why do many of our relationships in church grow sour? It's because we are not filling our hearts with the sweetness of Christ. And that is only found in the living and abiding Word of God. I'm going to tell you, I don't ever remember a time where I have been bitter of heart and felt good in my soul. The only way I feel good is when the sweetness of Jesus washes out the bitterness of my sinfulness. Born-again people like you have the capacity to love well, care for hurting souls well, and help others grow in holiness. But let me ask you a couple of questions. Is there anyone in your life more holy because of your walk with Jesus? Is there anyone in your life less holy because of your walk with Jesus? Friends, I believe the gospel can fix every problem in this world. I believe that every one of you can play a part in fixing those problems. But what I'm challenging you to do this morning is to consider that first, you need Jesus to heal you, to fix your heart. We need healing to transpire in the church. 
so that we can be the ministers. You will be much less effective in sharing the gospel out there as long as there is the brokenness in here. We fix brokenness here. We fix brokenness here. And then we are in a place, in a position where we can take the good news preached to us out into the world. This word, the good news, it was preached to you. We see there in verse 25. We have heard the good news. We need to be changed by it. We need to grow in holiness. And when we do, then we have ministry that changes the world. Until you have fully submitted your heart to the word, you will have trouble submitting to your fellow Christians. Love does not grow in a heart that is shunning holiness. And so don't shun holiness, but grow. As we finish, I want to put a call out to you. I said at the beginning we can't define holiness, and then about midway through I said, well, we can't define it with words, but we can define it with the picture of Jesus in the Gospels. And we look to Jesus and we see what holiness is. And we are called to be holy, church. We are called to be more like Jesus. I don't want you to be more like me. I want us all to be more like Jesus. So what does this look like? The call to be holy, in my view, begins in some form or fashion. It begins in brokenness. So here are the questions, diagnostic questions. What sins do you need to lay on the altar? Obviously, sins, our personal sins, keep us from holiness. Secondly, and not as obviously, what relationships do you need to see healed in your life? Because as long as there is a, a number of broken relationships around you, then you can assume that holiness is not quite full in your heart. What role do you need to accept what call have you been ignoring? Here's a third element. We haven't really talked about this today, but holiness is being obedient to God. If God has called you to a ministry, if he's called you to be a missionary, if he's called you to be a pastor, and you keep saying no to that, well, those no's to God are keeping you from the holiness that he has for you. Here at church, we have a place to gather, a place where holiness can grow. So prepare your mind for action. Get ready. And how do we get ready? Well, I think we prepare by getting right with God. We ask God to make us not just holy for ourselves, but we become holy for the sake of the church. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.